is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the 55th annual meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm not tiny, but still kind of a reindeer Mike. <laughs> and I'm a squeaky clean hippopotamus Meredith. We meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. Arf! To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So, saddle up that miniature horse, hold on tight, for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. What's up, Meredith? Oh, you know, just here in the Dalmatian station, hanging out on this rainy, windy day. It is a rainy and windy day. It was a good day to stay in bed. Yeah, I wanted to do that. but And to watch the great British Bake Off as well. Ugh, I need to get into it. I mean, I've totally been into it before, but I need to watch some of the new ones. Yeah, I have seen like episodes and stuff, but I'm doing my first season experience. Yes, it's so fun. Yeah, in typical me fashion, I couldn't tell you what season it is, nor the names of any of the contestants, but I can tell you that it was just Carmel Week. Oh. And Carmel Week was pretty exciting. Yeah, I find them all. Or have you seen the one where that guy, I think his name was Richard, I think. He made this like bread lion and it was like all these different colors of bread and it just made like this huge lion face and it was like the most outstanding feat of bread ever yes i think i did see that episode like paul hollywood almost like shat himself at the like workmanship that this took do we know the history of paul hollywood like was he on a famous baking show before (laughs) the bake-off you know i keep he's one of those people i keep meaning to look him up because i am very with a capital v intrigued by him yeah but Maybe we could do a Zooey Zooey special report (laughs) on Paul Hollywood. We'd have to put an animal twist on it somehow. Yeah. Well, but I mean, this is not a baking podcast, Meredith. This is an animal podcast. Definitely not. So I'd like to bring it back to the week in animals. Okay, fair. Animals other than Paul Hollywood. I mean, yes. Steel blue-eyed panther Paul Hollywood. Yes. Silver panther. (laughs) Silver fox, if you will. Well, I was watching this... PBS Eons thing. Uh-huh. And it was talking about these ancient scorpions, like sea scorpion things. Uh-huh. And they weren't quite actually like our modern day scorpions. They were, I think, along a different evolutionary path. I don't actually remember. But what I do remember is that they were like the size of humans. Oh. So they showed the images of like this kind of arthropod shape with its arms kind of up like this, like next to a human. Oh. And <laughs> I can picture this, they were yeah. like slightly larger and slightly smaller, like in a size chart. I just have to say I was very taken by that. (laughs) And again, remembering, I mean, I know it's like a decapod. I know we're talking about different things here, but like thinking about my shrimp journey (laughs) that I went on over this summer where I was just really feeling a lot of shrimp energy. Yeah. And kind of with my arthropod energy as well, it's like, I don't know, just the thought that I could encounter one like walking around like this, you know, with its arms up. Right. Ugh. That like really yucks me out. It's a bit yucky. Yeah, (laughs) it is. I literally don't think I could sit through that horror movie. Yeah, I actually wrote down here in my notes, it says, like, I don't know what to say anymore. Can you really imagine (laughs) 
and then an interrobang. <laughs> oh man, I've been. Uh, oh, first thing, did you catch any of the dog show after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade? I didn't, but I have seen a little bit of stuff on social media about it that they like had cardboard cutouts of dogs yes. in the audience. <laughs> ah! Yes, and there were a few cats. It was very cute. I would go so far as to say, like, just do that all the time. Like, have people pay to have their dogs cut out in the audience and then donate that money to shelters. I think that's great. Who needs people in the audience? For real. Then you don't have to sell concessions. Man, it's just like, let's start getting into this for the animals. Yeah. What's the introvert's dream? I was just talking about this with someone else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the dog show is always a hoot Uh for me. I like the dog show. (sighs) So with Chicago, the musical, when I joined the tour, John O'Hurley was the Billy Flynn. Yes. He was the one I saw when I saw it here in New York. Right, right. He's done it in New York. He does a great Billy Flynn. And he's a really wonderful performer. But I always laugh because he's the voice of the dog show, too. He's kind of like color commentary. Yes. (laughs) And hearing his voice is always a little jarring. And there was one time, my very first year with tour, where we started the tour in the United States, and then we went over to the Philippines for a couple weeks in December and did the show in the Philippines. And John didn't come with us. A different Billy Flynn came out with us. I'm not sure if he had a previous engagement or something. But the dog show came on while I was in the hotel in the Philippines, (laughs) and there was John O'Hurley's voice, and it was a very surreal experience. I'll never forget that. Yeah, he's like real into dogs, turns out, because they had all these like at-home features, like all the hosts at home, like doing the interstitial uh-huh. things instead of being that they are like live in the stadium. They would be did these like at home things and they all have these like nutso dogs and they all have stories about like different breeds of dogs that they've had. And like they really have a lot of knowledge about dogs, which I respect. Uh-huh. But I do find it a little like silly. I will say. Oh, yeah. But this is coming from me. It's me. Like what? have I said on here that wasn't silly right is this more or less silly than the dog show (laughs) what the interstitial commentary well just in general our show oh I mean who are we to judge silliness is my question exactly but I would like to think I'm in the business of silliness and there Uh, therefore I go and judge (laughs) yeah no I love that I love that well I mean we've done a lot of gabbing should we just get to it? Yeah, let's kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer. It's an odd number episode, <laughs> so you go first. I go first. Are you ready? Yeah, I <laughs> no is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear it. Taxonomy you. Taxonomy we. Taxonomy who. Taxonomy. Kingdom. In Amelia, they make this world a better place. Phylum. For data, this spine is just fine by me. Class. Reptilia, like the dinos in more ways than one. Order. Squamata, hands up for the scaled reptile crew. Family. Chameleonidae, now just guess what that means. Genus. Triceros, I mentioned dinos for a reason. Species. Triceros jacksoni. Its three horns are the least interesting thing about it. It's the Jackson's horned chameleon. Meredith, I just have to say, like, as a musical theater person that that scanned really very well <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> please hit me with some chameleon facts meredith yeah let's move past this <laughs> this embarrassment okay tax facts 
You know them. You love them. It's Reptilia. So these are our, this is the um, class. So Kingdom, Animalia, Cordata, blah, 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 blah. Class, Reptilia. So like they're dinosaur ancestors. These are these tetrapod vertebrates, cold-blooded, you know, all that stuff. Either lay eggs or they'll like kind of lay like a sack, like a yolk sack that the baby survives on, you know, that kind of stuff. And then we move into the order of Squamata. And I said, hands up for the scaled reptile crew. So I wanted to say hands up for the scaled rep, scaled reptile crew. crew. Oh my gosh. <sighs> I'm really struggling. I'm going to take a sip of water. Reptiles need hydration as well, Meredith. Ooh, getting used to my tongue. Okay. That's very reptilian <laughs> of you, Meredith. Yeah, it's very perfect because tongues are going to factor into this uh, animal in a big, big way. So stay on board for that. Okay. So again, order, squamata, hands up for the hands scaled, up for the scaled reptile, reptile crew. crew. And I had to say like, except you snakes, because they don't have hands to put up. But snakes are still in the order of squamata because they essentially evolved from four-legged creatures like they're that's right animal brethren yeah that is the confusing thing it's the serpentes it's <laughs> is where we break off into snakes but squamates are both snakes and Serpentine. lizards we do right know that being that they have scales that's their defining character right right they're scaly exactly and we've actually probably talked about this before but i i thought this was funny like the squamatus means scaly or having scales oh and this is interesting because we've talked about the Persiform fish before. These are like the perch-like raffined fishes. Yes. They're the largest order. The largest order, meaning like the most species within um, all the orders of vertebrates. Right. Whereas right. the Squamata are the second largest order behind the Persiforms. Oh, interesting. In terms of number of species. Yeah. So there's a lot of different Squamata out there. That's squatastic. It's a big squamata lombata. Okay. So moving on to the family of chameleonidae. So we know where I'm heading with this, right? Uh-huh. We're talking chameleons. And actually, as we would have it, this is actually where I'm going to stop for a moment because I just want to talk. I think we can say a lot of really cool things about chameleons in general, like without getting any further down through this specificity. Uh-huh. So- like, there's a lot we can talk about just at the level of family that, like, makes them so freaking unique and so cool. But then we'll get into, like, the specifics of the Jackson's horned chameleon at the end. Okay. So, if we're just talking at the family of the chameleonidae, this is the chameleons, obviously. And so, this is a really highly specialized. So, they're going to have a lot of traits that I'm going to talk about that are, like, how did you evolve this super specific thing, you crazy lizard? So being highly, highly specialized old world lizards, so they're going to be on that eastern hemisphere, but mostly located in Africa. And what's crazy is that actually almost half of all chameleon species, which is said to be like around 200, half of them live in Madagascar. So, like, Madagascar is chameleon central. I had no idea. Mm. I Okay. Half of all chameleons live in Madagascar? Yeah, half of all chameleon species. 
So they it's around like I heard a couple different numbers, but let's say like an average of 200 species of chameleons total. So Madagascar really is just this sort of glorious. It seems like it. Biodiverse, isolated yeah. area, huh? Totally. I mean, it's like a large scale version hmm. of like the Galapagos or like. Sure. Or even like the New Zealand, Australia, Tasmania crew having like some of the goofiest animals also. Right, right. So interesting over there in the old world, right? Interesting. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so they're going to be mostly hanging out in Africa, including the one our Jackson's horned chameleon, which is actually inhabiting southern Kenya and northern Tanzania, actually. So just to Hmm. orient us in. Consider me oriented. Oriented. Okie dokie. So I wanted to just say that like it's worth mentioning that like the chameleon's crazy list of traits, like they're highly specialized, goofy ass traits that you don't necessarily see as well performed or as, I don't know, pronounced on other animals. Like chameleons are weird, like super duper weird. Sure. So it's like, I don't know, they're kind of like that girl who can do everything like really well. And you're like, how did you end up with all the crazy evolutionary traits, chameleon? Like, how is it that you're so good at violin and a competitive swimmer and, like, a Rhodes Scholar? Like, how do you do it? (laughs) How do they do it? You know? So, anyhow, let's just go down the list of this crazy shit about the chameleon. So, over 100 million years old, they've been around that long. I feel like it would take that much time to evolve as goofily as they have. Okay, so, like, the most talked about thing, perhaps, I don't know, maybe this is up for debate, but their color. So there's some misconceptions about color. So a lot of people assume, and we were kind of taught, I think when we were younger, that chameleons, like why did they change color? What do you remember from this? I remember that it was like a camouflage thing. It was to like avoid predators, right? Yes. So what's interesting is that's actually, it's not completely false. Like some Chameleons do change color, but it's like actually more, it's even cooler than that. Actually, most chameleons, if they change color at all, the ones that do are doing it to communicate with other chameleons and also for thermoregulation. I'll start with that. Yeah, please. Okay. So thermoregulation, meaning like how they regulate their body heat, because remember reptiles are cold blooded, so they can't regulate their own body heat. So they have to kind of absorb it from the sun. So say a chameleon is feeling a little chilly. This chameleon can darken themselves to make them more um, absorbent to the sun's rays. It's like wearing a black T-shirt out on a really sunny day. You get like a lot warmer. Uh huh. So they can actually like change their skin to accommodate that. Or say they want to show like a woman chameleon is ready to show that she's ready to mate. She would like change the appropriate color. Say like a dominant male wants to show aggression he'll get really bright. Or if the male wants to be more submissive, he'll kind of go to a darker, more dull color. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like more of a communication thing than it is a camouflage thing. Though that does happen. There is one particular chameleon that actually will change its color depending on the prey. So it changes this particular dark color for the prey, this type of bird that can see it really well. And then it kind of changes a more dull green for this snake that's also its predator that um, can't see it very well. 
So it's like interesting. It changes color according to what is after it. It's so nuts. Uh huh. It's just so nuts, and it gets even crazier. Okay. When I explain how this works. So again, this is a little like dense. I'm so sorry, but I got very excited about chameleons today. Okay, so how do the colors work? How does it work? I've never really understood this. I've kind of just been like, yeah, cool, dude. You do you, but not really getting it. Sure. So they actually have different layers of skin, it turns out. So the outer layer is like transparent. So we don't have to really like talk about that. But then the second layer is a layer of pigments called Vocab alert, chromatophores. So like crow, chroma, color. Okay, sure. Yep. So that's the second layer. And then this third layer, it sounds like it's some sort of like energy drink. The third layer is composed of guanine crystals. Guanine crystals? Guanine, like G-U-A-N-I-N-E. Guanine. Kind of like Guanu, but guanning. Yeah, guanine. Uh, guanine crystals. And crystals <laughs> like, like a deodorant. Like C R Y S T A. Like a new age deodorant. Sure. Okay. So actually, what they'll do, so like depending on their mood, so say they get excited, this means that they'll like something in them will trigger the crystals to move further apart. And so the when the crystals are further <laughs> apart. <laughs> Sounds like I'm talking you through like a really boring fantasy novel right now. (laughs) So the chameleon spreads out its crystals across its skin. And then when the wavelength enters into the guanine crystals, it is actually reflected back up through the layer of chromatophores. And so this red color, this wavelength that translates red filters up through the yellow pigmented chromatophores and gives off a bright orange to show that it's like excited. So let me just get this right. Yes. So the sun (laughs) shoots out light billions of miles away. It goes through space and time and gets to the planet Earth. Yes. Where it interacts with a chameleon who's been covering itself in crystals who is he's innately crystalled yes through through the process of being a chameleon <laughs> is encrusted in a sort of crystal carapace yes. if you will <laughs> a crystal dermis and it allows the light to reflect or refract or otherwise energize through <laughs> yeah. the crystals and then it shoots the light out through its layer of chromatophores color pigmented skin cells chromatophores essentially and um then that's how we can see the color change and how other chameleons are like "Ooh, steve's a little upset yeah exactly or Rhonda's ready to get it on wow uh yeah that's that's it wow simple as that right easy peasy as they say lemon squeezy okay So this next lesson is more of a physics lesson than a kind of a light refraction lesson as we did with the colors of the chameleon. Now we're talking tongues. I'm a little more used to my tongue now, but still there's a lot going on here as well. Yes. Tongue talk. (laughs) Tongue talk. Okay. So actually the chameleon's tongue is pretty nuts. So actually it's the fastest muscle acceleration amongst vertebrates. Bum, 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 bum. Whoa. Yeah. 
its tongue is faster than any other vertebrate's muscles. Yeah, essentially. Of any category. Yeah, one thing I read was like 13 miles per hour. Wow. Yeah, but another statistic or another way to think about it is that it's essentially the speed at which the tongue kind of flies out of the chameleon's mouth. It's equivalent to a car going from zero to 100 miles per hour in one one hundredth of a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy, right? So That's very crazy. Yeah, I'll kind of talk about what happens with this tongue. And this is kind of a potential versus kinetic energy moment. So the tongue comes in three parts. At the very end is this sticky, sticky spot. It's like thick honey kind of almost at the end of their tongue. Uh-huh. And then after that is kind of like a coil muscles that essentially can like coil up. After that is the essentially uh, the tongue attaches to what's called the hyoid bone. So it's almost like a bone inside that the tongue is still attached to. It's kind of weird. Uh-huh. Weird to see. The you hyoid. can watch a lot of like slow motion chameleon tongue grabbing videos. They're pretty weird. What they do is essentially they coil back that muscle, that center part. They coil it back and then they like (laughs) release it. And essentially the thing will like slap its sticky end onto like a cicada or something and like pull it back in real fast. Mm -hmm. And then it just looks like the sounds, like the sound of a chameleon eating sounds like it would be like. Because they just eat like so derpy. I love them. (sighs) I'm just still stuck on this sort of crystal journey. I'm sorry. I know it's a lot. It is. And there's like still more goofy shit to come. I'm so sorry. This is very extensive, but. It's okay. I'm into it. You got to just, yeah, you got to just hold on tight with your zygodactylus feet. Because <laughs> they kind of like, that's, it's almost like they have like Spock hands, but then they like pints. Yes, exact. That was a very good description. So essentially, if, if you take like your thumb and your index finger, that would be like one side of your pincer. Uh-huh. And then like your middle ring and pinky fingers would be like on the other side. Uh-huh. And that's kind of like how you would like grab onto like limbs and stuff. Because these guys sure. primarily live yeah, up I'm in a- the trees. I think that should be stated. I'm doing it right now on the microphone <laughs> yeah. stand, Meredith. And I have to say it's getting a pretty good purchase, yeah. you know? I mean, you do have like the thumb power and then you have the power of three on the other side. Yeah, it's not a bad way to go. But they do look really, they're like weird little like mitten hands. It's like if the thumb part of the mitten was like bigger. (laughs) Yeah, that's just what it's like. So, and that's called zygodactylus. Oh yeah, and they can also like, they can't hear things, but like through these goofy feet, they actually like feel in their whole bodies, I should say, like feel vibrations. Like, rather than actually hearing things. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. Eyes. I mean, that's the other, like, huge thing you think about when you think about chameleons is their weird eyes that can, like, rotate independently of one another and also have 360 vision independently of one another. Right. So it would be really funny to, like, watch these videos of these chameleons with, like, slow-mo tongue flaps and like one eye is like going like straight forward and the other one's just like pointing off to the side. They just look like <laughs> so crazy. That's funny. <laughs> so they actually have great depth perception. So they're able to see things. I think they said up to like 10 meters away, even infrared vision. It's crazy. Finally, just to quickly talk about some important parts of the Jackson horned chameleon specifically. 
So this title primarily comes from the fact that it has three horns. <laughs> uh-huh. One is called, um, I just want to say, the rostral or the rostral horn. So it like comes out of its nose. Right. Related to rostrum, probably, which you've talked about. Yes, probably. Yes. Yeah. So the rostral horn. And then above that, there's two more horns. So they're like totally outdoing their cousins. There's like a two horned chameleon. And then there's like another one horned chameleon. But these are these guys are like, fuck you. I got three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where they get this genus name of Triceros. Right. Because tri equals three. Keras equals horns. So like, remember our dino friend, the Triceratops. How can I forget? Yeah. He was like my second favorite dino. After the st- after the Tricera bottoms, <laughs> nice one. No, after the Stegosaurus, silly. Oh uh, yeah, the Steggies are cool. Steggies are super cool. Yeah, and so actually, the name Jackson of the Jackson horned chameleon comes from I guess it's like formal naming the creature's formal naming in 1896 after English ornithologist Frederick John Jackson, who was the first governor of Kenya. Yay. Colonialism. Yeah, for us. Good job, Fred. <laughs> yeah, and I will say I got a lot of this information from like a Nat Geo video and then our friends at Animal Logic. <laughs> yeah. Danielle. Great up. At all. Great up on the chameleon, as always. Yeah, they really do good work sure over do. there. It's very concise. It gives me a good um, guide to keep my shit like streamlined, though. <laughs> How's that going for you? Again, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't quite a Ramble Core it's 2020, not. though. We're like nowhere it's near not. that territory. I just kind of felt like I was shot out of a cannon for, for that. Or should I say like splatted out of a chameleon's mouth? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's like all I have, really. I thought that was great, Meredith. Thank you for that. There's just so much to explain with them. They're not an easy like... I mean, that you could have just had the tongue and I would have been satisfied. They were like, right. all of these features combined really makes this a charismatic creature. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they've got all this stuff going for them. So anyway, the girl that can do it all, the Jackson's Horned Chameleon. Brand Club Mega Store is proud to announce a new food concept opening across all retail locations. California Pika Kitchen. Bringing all the freshest recipes from the West Coast to the entire world. California Pika Kitchen combines all the best fusion recipes direct to your mouth parts. Szechuan sedge dumplings. Tomato thistle bisque. California fireweed pizza. Bluegrass tequila fettuccine. West Coast Browser burgers. And of course, our extremely popular brush tostada. Dine in. Or log on to the Brand Clubby Web Portal to order delivery. Or contact this pickup for COVID sensitive species. Brand Clubby is so nimble for such a large conglomerate. Celebrate this new dining concept with Cody. Yum yum 15. To save 15% off your first visit and enjoy the west coast fusion stylings of the cutest lagomorphs and we're back for another rousing 
an edition of Who's Hoops. One of your favorites, Meredith. Probably your favorite of all time. I think it is my favorite. Okay, Mike. Who's Hoops. These hoops love spending time in the river waters of China, India, Cambodia, and the Philippines, to name a few. These hooves belong to a creature who loves to wallow in the mud holes they make with their big old horns. Three, these hooves bear their weight evenly. Number four, these hooves belong to a creature who shares a name with a great superstar of the American Plains region. Whose hooves, Mike? The water buffalo. You got it! Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Okay. All right, Meredith. Who's hoof? This hoof is kind of not exactly a hoof. This hoof has soft toes spreading and flattening as weight is put upon the hoof. This hoof is adapted to sandy environments. As far as this creature is concerned, the hoof is not quite as good of a place to store water as a different, more iconic part of their body. Who's hoofs? Camel? Hoof, 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 All right, Mike. Who's hooves? These hooves, like our first hooves, also distribute their weight evenly. Number two. These hooves belong to a creature that makes a great, albeit sometimes stubborn and unruly pet. These hooves are awfully used to hearing their owners scream like a human. Four, these hooves sometimes fall off balance when their owner suddenly faints. Whose hooves, Mike? Is it the cute little fainty goat? Yeah, it's the Tennessee fainting goat. The Tennessee fainting goat. All right, Meredith. Whose hoofs? These hoofs support a lot of weight. These hoofs come in even numbers. And in this case, that number is four. <laughs> These hoofs are great for water and for land. Cutie patootie Fiona has these hoofs. Is it the hippopotamus, Mike? Hoof, 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 hoof. Well, this has been a winning episode of Who's Hooves. We're all winners here. Hoofs up. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. And Amelia, we're not here to talk about couches. Philo. Cordata. Spines are firm. Atta. Class. Mammalia. Hirsute and cute. Order. Carnivora. Meat is yummy tummy yums. Family. Canny day. Dogs, etc. Genus. Vulpus. True foxes. Species. Lagopus. It's the Arctic fox. An icon of the Arctic region and the winter months. Wait, what was that? What was that name? Woo. Canopus? It is it's Lagopus. It's Lagopus. L-A-G-O-P-U-S. Like you got a wolf face. Lagopus. Lagopus. All right. Kingdom Animalia. It's not a couch. Definitely not. 
Cordata, we got a spine. Class Mammalia, furry, fuzzy. We know about mammals. Order Carnivora, we got like bears, dogs, cats. Right. Assorted creatures. A typical mammal that's not like a rodent, you know, like uh, likely is a carnivora. Pinnipedia are carnivora. Right. Our fin-footed friends. Obviously, like cows and deers aren't their undulates and stuff, but like, you know, carnivora. Right. Canidae, dogs, etc. Vulpus is the genus. That's where we get to true foxes. Vulpus. And then Lagopus, the Arctic fox. Well, the genus, the Vulpus, true foxes. Foxes are, in fact, a proper clade. Okay. So that is to say they share a common ancestor. They're distinguished from other Canis members by their smaller size. Mm -hmm. They have a longer and bushier tail, and their skull is flatter. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think I can picture all of that. It's a pretty good description of the differences between foxes and other dogs. Yeah. Typically, true foxes have black triangular markings between their eyes and nose, and typically the tip of their tail is a different color from the rest of their pelt. They'll typically live two to four years, but can survive up to a decade. Oh, they're so short. It's short. Yeah, I I thought that too. I was kind of surprised. I was like, foxes are fleet both of feet and in terms of lifespan. Right. That's what I thought. I just thought they'd be so like scrappy and, you know, hardy. But maybe these guys are just a little bit more, I don't know, vulnerable and tender. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Well, they (laughs) live their vulnerable and tender lives in the Arctic Circle in North America and Northern Eurasia. This article said that they can endure a temperature difference of up to 100 degrees Celsius or 180 degrees Fahrenheit between like the outside temperature and their inside temperature. So that's a lot. Because that would mean that they're they're probably operating, let's say they operate around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Let's like put them in the same categories about what humans do and probably about what other mammals, let's just say, placental mammals, whatever. Yeah. So sure. I guess what it's saying really is that temperatures can reach like negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit or like negative 50 degrees Celsius, essentially. Yeah. For these poor little creatures outside in the Arctic Circle, which I guess is true. Wow. Yeah, I know. No, these little nuggets are cute. And these are the white ones. Yeah, yeah. These are like the all-white cute snow foxes. Yeah, little leapy guys. Yeah, the cute little snowy leapy guys. Yeah. And so to fight that cold, they'll curl up and they'll take their cute little legs in their head and they'll tuck it under their body. And then they'll take the furry tail and kind of put it over the top of them, the aforementioned bushy tail. Yes. And that helps them protect their least insulated area and exposes the smallest surface area. So they like minimize the surface area to volume ratio of, you know, their foxiness, their like foxy <laughs> attitude. And during autumn, they'll build up their fat reserves by yeah. up to like 50% of their body weight to survive the lead months of the winter. For them. This is all so impressive. I just I'm so mm-hmm. sensitive to the cold I'm like wimp compared to these guys. Yeah. Yeah, my toes were really cold today. Um, so their main prey is lemmings. Sometimes they're called lemming foxes. They'll eat voles. They'll eat ringed seal pups, fish, waterfowl, and seabirds. They will also eat carrion, berries, seaweeds, insects, and other small invertebrates. So they seem a little bit opportunistic foragers almost. But in the springtime, they'll switch their focus from just surviving and sleeping to finding a home and mating. 
And they dig these elaborate large dens that are like maze-like and have complex series of tunnels. Cool. It's like Discovery Zone. Yeah. And it may cover as much as like a thousand meters square. Yes. Which is really big. Easy at Discovery Zone. <laughs> I'm a kid. Be on my own. Something like that. That would be like a 50 meter by 20 meter space so let's call that like a quarter of a football field is like a thousand meters squared more or less back of the envelope calculation please don't send us math emails (laughs) this is not a math podcast it will have the den face southward towards the Mm. sun which will like make the den warmer and uh the maze likeness of the den protects it from predators and they will typically have their natal dens (laughs) in rugged terrain which would provide possibly extra protection for the pups. Nice. Mm-hmm. They're monogamous. They breed in April and May and gestation's about 52 days. The litters can contain as many as 25 pups, which is the largest Holy shit. I know. It's the largest litter size in all carnivora. That is blowing my mind. That's a lot of pups. I don't know that I've heard but of- think about how tough life is, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard of like a litter of anything being that big. No. Like, not even No, I've heard of clutches that size. Yes, definitely. But like not even like mice. Right. Yeah, you'd think rodents would have lots of little babes. Huh. You go, you go Arctic foxes. Right. Fleet foxes. Arctic fleet foxes. That's the all snow. Yeah. Arctic fleet foxes. They're giving a concert north of the Arctic Circle. <laughs> Just singing. Beautiful. Part of the bonus of monogamy is that both parents can care for the offspring, which is probably also part of the reason why there can be so many yeah. chillins. Yeah. The young emerge from the den after about three to four weeks and are weaned after nine weeks. Got it. Different populations have different social structures. So in situations where predators and prey are abundant, they're more likely to be promiscuous and display more complex social structures. And it's said that a larger pack can guard a single territory better. Okay. And that'll consist of breeding or non-breeding males or females, those larger packs typically. Dogs are known for their hearing range, but the Arctic fox has a more limited hearing range, which is... uh, just 125 hertz to 16,000 hertz, which is actually less than the human hearing range. Mm -hmm. However, it can easily hear lemmings burrowing under four to five inches of snow. So it'll, when it's hunting, it'll kind of be looking for prey. And then when it hears the lemmings, it'll pounce and punch through the snow to catch its prey. Yeah, I've seen those videos. They're so cute. Yeah. And they also have a really great sense of smell and they can smell carcasses Mm. that are left by like a polar bear from like 10 to 40 kilometers away. Yeah, they're like the vultures of the Arctic. (laughs) And it says that they can find and smell and find frozen lemmings under like 50 centimeters of snow. (laughs) And they can even detect a subnivian seal layer under 150 centimeters of snow. And so I know what you're asking. What is... Subnivian, I am. (laughs) Subnivian. I'm here to tell you the subnivian zone is the area between the surface of the ground and the bottom of the snowpack. Okay, can you just say that one more time? It's the area between the surface of the ground 
and the bottom of the snowpack. Okay. So there's like the ground and then there's the subnivian zone, which is this area where like voles live between the ground and the snowpack above them. It's kind of like a little igloo sort right. of thing. Oh, man. Yeah. The subnivian zone's pretty cool. I've never even considered that that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't either, but I'm not a vole. Right. Or a lemming or a seal. Right. As far as I know. Yeah. It apparently contains genes that also help it overcome the extreme cold and starvation period. Like fleece-lined blue jeans? No, like a glycolipid transfer protein and a V-act murine thymomoviral oncogene homolog 2. Oh, those genes. Yeah, yeah. The glycolipid transfer protein is involved in the fatty acid metabolism, but the V-act murine thymomaviral oncogene homolog 2 <laughs> pertains to the glucose metabolism and insulin signaling. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So these creatures are pretty well studied, but I mean, think about... Seems like it, yeah. I like think about those applications, though, for like cold weather survival. I'm sure the military is interested in the thermal conductivity of Arctic fox fur in the summer and the winter, you know? It seems like something. I'd say so. That would be researched. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say. They're just really cute. If you just want a good time, just look at Arctic fox imagery. I mean, they migrate. I don't know. There's tons of stuff about them. Get into Arctic foxes. Yeah. Yeah. I want to read about them. Yeah. They sound so fun. Or I definitely am just going to like watch videos of them. Yeah. I definitely recommend that. I mean, it's clear that in my research, I just got lost looking at photos and videos of cute Arctic foxes and didn't actually really learn that much. Yeah. So I would just like to say, I don't know, as we enter this winter, our COVID winter, I'm going to take with me some of the Arctic foxes energy to survive cold weather and just be adorable and yes you know maybe eat some lemmings yeah why not now's a good time as any Mm -hmm. thanks mike for such a christmas time cutie anytime anytime all winter months really not just christmas of course of course uh well you want to take a break absolutely all right break time oh hello we didn't see you there are you new here sweetie What's that? You just moved in? Oh, well, aren't you lucky to have found us? Who are we, you ask? Why, darling, I am Betty. And I'm Helga. And together, we are the The Official Turkey Turkey Vulture Welcoming Committee of the Scampering No Longer Retirement Village for Senior Rodents. We're here to make your stay as comfortable and terminal as possible. (laughs) With us, Helga, and Betty, rest assured that you are always under our watchful eyes. Should you fall and not be able to get up, feel safe knowing that no final gasp will go unheard. Or unsmelled. We'll be right by your side in your final moments, no matter what. Remember, we are here for you. Or we can't call ourselves Helga or Betty 
the official turkey vulturing, welcoming, and bereavement committee of the scampering no longer retirement village for senior rodents. Do we have here? Send some oats. I get a little bit of peppermint. Peppermint oats. Hmm. Smelling some candle wax. Candle wax. A little burnt skin from where the, where the Christmas lights, the twinkle lights zapped you. Yeah. I feel like it's the December feedback, Meredith. <laughs> We're here. We're here. All right. Here's our first question from Linda from Springfield. And she asks... Do you think Miles Davis liked roosters? I just have to talk about this queer theory book that I read one time that was like, it was about like, oh yeah, queer musicians. And it was like, Pet Shop Boys, gay. Miles Davis, gay. <laughs> <laughs> and just like went down the list and was like, all these musicians are gay. And it just kind of, it read a little bit like a, a rag, you know, like with all due respect. And yeah. like, uh, I, I enjoyed reading it. I would read it again. But I think that maybe I just wonder if Linda is asking us this question, but if, you know, substituting out a different word for roosters, like I just have to say that, Linda, oh. I feel like you're asking us about more than Miles Davis's affinity for a, a virile male chicken. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is I, I interpreted it a little bit differently, I guess is why human perspectives are so good. Yeah, multiple human perspectives. Yeah, exactly. It's because I totally went with like the trumpety aspect of it. Oh, interesting. You know how roosters are so like proud and have such a piercing wail like early in the morning or really whenever they feel like it. They're like really loud and it kind of makes me think about trumpets. And actually our tree topper for our little Christmas tree here is a rooster playing a trumpet. Uh-huh. So... I don't know. I just, I'm feeling Linda's like trumpet energy. Okay. The rooster trumpet energy. And maybe like Miles Davis was watching a rooster one day and was like, I want to get into what you're doing. Right. Rooster. Right. Yeah. But I really like your, your reading of it though. That's sure. <laughs> I never would have thought about sure. that. Sure. So maybe your argument is that before Miles played the trumpet before he found the trumpet he had to first find the impulse to trumpet if you will and to call <laughs> forth and to project his sound and that perhaps he found that inspiration first from the rooster that before he respected and emulated the abilities of the great trumpet players that came before him that right. he wanted to emulate the chutzpah, if you will, of yes. the roosters in front of him. Sure. Interesting. Exactly. So, I mean, it's a little house divided, but I think house valid all the way around. I was going to say, either way, I think the answer is yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In that case. I've presented this point in conversation numerous times around people who would know and a reaction that I've gotten from the one who I trust the most was that Miles wasn't gay. Miles was a freak. 
<laughs> so I, I think the answer is yes either way, Linda. Yes. So, yes. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding, ding. A dong, ding, dong. Speaking of ding, dongs, <laughs> Kevin from Lexington, friend of the show. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Asks, do penguins like peppermint? Seen. Hmm. I know penguins like pooping. <laughs> Have you seen that video that's been floating around? It's like just close-ups of like baby penguins just rocketing their like shit streams, like in these arcs. <laughs> and then they do like they do like an overhead view, and then you just see like the circumference of all these little penguin families, and it's just like a star of like shit emanating out from each like little penguin pod. Oh, they stand in like a circle and poop outwards, creating a sort of like starburst poop pattern in the snow. Yes. Yes. Like look up like pooping baby penguins and you'll just be disgusted at the amount of like the sheer velocity out of which this poop flies from the penguins. butt. look up pooping baby penguins uh, for penguin poop videos. Okay, I've made a note to myself, Meredith. Perfect. Okay. Well, again, human perspective being what it is. Uh, yeah, I didn't answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with this. Okay. So I saw something recently about colors and pigments and words for colors and sort of timing words for colors. And okay. it was saying that in civilizations that the words for black and white originate very early, right? And then mm-hmm. the next color that a word is designated for is always red. And then there's like yellow and green and stuff are in there like concerning ripeness of fruit, right? Okay. And then blue kind of comes later. That was the whole point. It was all about the color blue. So my point in saying all of this is when we think of peppermint, we think of the color red juxtaposed with the color white and when we think of penguins we think of their sort of black and white plumage and so the real question is have penguins progressed far enough in their society to have identified the color red which I feel is a prerequisite to mastering peppermint flavoring in general (laughs) and I would like to point out as evidence that they have in fact the beautiful eye plumage that sort of like beat eyeshadow moment that those yes. like cute penguins have with that like yellow and and red and blue and kind of oranges and things totally yeah and so i think if they've mastered those colors they've mastered the color red and so i think that based on that it's likely that they have mastered peppermint flavoring and i'm sure that they like it i mean they're cold weather creatures and nothing's as much fun in the cold weather as peppermint right um I don't agree, but I have weird peppermint problems. Okay, okay. I don't like it at all. Do you agree with all the logic up until the peppermint flavor? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, I was good. going to say, I just... well, I can't argue with any of that. Except you don't like the flavor. Right. So, I mean, I can't really, but I, maybe the penguins love it. Yeah, I think that makes you anti-penguin. Absolutely not. I am so pro-penguin, you don't even know. Well, I guess agree to disagree. <laughs> Ding ding, <laughs> ding, 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 all right, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Francis from New York City wants to know if we should go easier on our cockroach friends during this holiday season, Ooh, well, listen, Frankie, 
Do you have roaches? <laughs> yeah, Francis, I just have to ask, where do you live? What's your building like? I mean, I guess I appreciate this sort of like kind of share space situation. All right, look, here's what I have to say about this is that <laughs> the seasons are changing, the heat's on, you know what I mean? Yes. And so they don't like the cold. There there's a certain migration happening and if that's easier on you, Francis, than it is on other people, I think it's important to just like recognize that. And I guess I like your general goodwill towards creatures great and small. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if I share it in this moment. Yeah. Cause I, I really like they're winning. I'm on like such defense right now with these fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon my French, Francis. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just kind of like protecting my own home that I feel like has been a little bit invaded. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. And it's not like it's not like they're pill bugs, like little and like peaceful. I mean, these guys are big and they like reproduce like crazy. And they carry bacteria. They're not good. No, there's a reason why like you have to learn all about the different kinds of roaches for your food handler's license. <laughs> yeah, there is a reason for that. Because you don't want them in your food establishment. You really don't. So, Francis, I mean, yeah, I respect the uh, the ethical approach, the moral approach there, but it's hard to say when I'm feeling invaded. I mean, look, if by go easier, you mean that, like, maybe decorate the roach motels before you put them down with, like, a wreath <laughs> and, like, a little garland. Like, sure, yeah. That'd be cute. Yeah. Leave out, like, you know, some sticky tape gifts for them and... <laughs> Yeah, you can put that roach bait gel on a candy cane. Yeah, yeah. Put some cinnamon flavored peanut butter mixed with boric acid. All over your sink. <laughs> All over your sink. Yeah, there's a lot of gifts we can give them. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess that works. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Enough said. Yeah. All right, well. Uh, another great meeting, Meredith. Keep the questions coming, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. You know we love to hear from you. And have a great week in animals. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting.